Are you wanting to live a life with more clarity and happiness? I'm Tammy Hill, a licensed marriage and family therapist, sex therapist, professor at Brigham Young University, and most importantly, a wife, mother, and grandmother. I am also an optimist. I strive to live my life on purpose, with purpose. I am here to inspire people to do the things that inspire them so that together each of us can change our world for the better. Join me for my Live Your Why podcast. Together we can live a life full of passion and purpose. Hello, welcome to the Live Your Why podcast. I am really happy and pleased to introduce to you today my guest, Nikki Harmon. Nikki is a therapist. She owns her own private practice and does so much good work with so many different individuals. I have admired her work for a long time. I've asked Nikki to come and visit with me a little bit today about a situation that is becoming more and more common on campus with people I counsel with and just around me with families in general, and that is having faith crisis or a spouse choosing to step away from the church after a couple's been married. This is something that I've had several couples come in and done some work with them in counseling as they try to navigate a marriage relationship that is looking different than it did in the beginning. Ideas and beliefs that were once shared are no longer shared. As we talk about this, you might be able to think of someone you know that is going through this experience, and perhaps this podcast would be helpful to them. If so, please don't hesitate to share this. I want to visit just a minute about faith transitioning. I like to call a faith crisis faith transitioning more than faith crisis. A crisis seems like it's a disaster and there's an emergency relief that needs to come in. And most of these situations that I'm aware of, it isn't truly a crisis. It might feel like a crisis to the spouse that is remaining active in the church, but it's more of a faith transition. And people can ponder and learn and question and choose to faith transition outside of the church. And people can do the same in studying and learning and choosing to transition in faith within the church. The idea that a couple is going to stay the same or that the person that you've married will never change is a false idea. We are here on earth to grow and progress. We have to change as we mature and develop. Change is inevitable. So as you marry someone, recognize that change will happen and that that change and transitions that happen within life are part of the journey. They're part of the plan and that together we can help one another transition with our faith, transition with our beliefs, transition with our own identities. I think one of the best ways to support and help an individual or a couple that's experiencing a faith transition is to be a good listener, be a supportive friend, offer loving friendship, and strive not to be judgmental. Also, strive not to overreact 
or make it about you, particularly if you are a parent to a child who is having a struggle within the church or choosing maybe to step away from the church or have a little bit of a faith transition right now. Making this about you, what did I do wrong? How could he do this to me? Does not help the relationship that you have with that child. And I believe as a parent, relationships have to be preserved. I encourage you, if this is happening within your families, do everything you can to preserve the relationship. Find common interests. Find common goals that you have and continue to communicate and share time together doing things that you both enjoy. Remember, the relationship takes priority. Here's Nikki. I hope that today's podcast will be a great episode and help you understand some of the things that we can do as people have faith transitions. Hello, welcome to the Live Your Why podcast today. This is Tammy Hill. I'm so excited to introduce a friend of mine that I've met through Instagram. She's a fellow licensed marriage and family therapist. Her name is Nikki Harmon, and she's here to talk with me today a little bit about what happens when life doesn't go as planned, especially in marriage. Nikki, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I own a clinic in American Fork called the Family Therapy Clinic. I work a lot with couples. I do emotionally focused therapy and women and just kind of life life transitions and things not always going to plan. So I'm really excited to be here with you to kind of talk through some of this stuff. Yeah. Thank you. I am so excited too. I, What led you to study marriage and family therapy? So I always was kind of the listener friend growing up, <laughs> except mm-hmm. when I was young, I really wanted to be the first female president of the United States. So maybe someday, but not really. (laughs) (laughs) But once I got to college, I wasn't really sure. And I took a human development class and kind of fell in love with that and decided that, you know, even if I never worked a day in my life, because what I really wanted was to be a mom and have lots of babies and do all of that. But if I never worked a day in my life, then marriage and family would be a really good skill. I would be really helpful to just in my personal life to kind of learn about some of that. And so I decided to do that and then thought, you know, if I get married and have babies, when my kids are older, I'll go back and get my master's and then start practicing, you know, a little bit later in life. And it turns out I got thrown into that a little bit sooner than I thought. I had been graduated and married for a couple of years I was pregnant with my second baby, and I found out that my husband had a really, really serious drug addiction. And we were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, married in the temple, the whole thing. It just threw—it was completely not anywhere on my radar Mm. that would ever happen. I mean, I've never even had a sip of coffee in my life, let alone anything Mm -hmm. else. And Mm -hmm. so when this kind of all started coming out, it was really devastating and life-changing. And it eventually led to the end of our marriage, and I found myself as a single mom with a— three-year-old and a one-year-old, and I went back to school. I didn't have a working degree, and so I went back and got my master's, and 
just bumped my plans up, you know, 20 or 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure your life experience has played a big part in your ability to connect with people who come to meet with you. I know that that it works for me as well, that life doesn't go as planned for most of us, I think. And mm -hmm. if we make the best of the choices that we have, we can often really help people out that are going through something that we went through years ago. Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, when I was going through my divorce, you know, this is before social media. There wasn't mm. really a lot of online stuff. There weren't any resources. I remember looking at Deseret Book and trying to find a book on divorce in the church, and there was none. Mm. Like, wow. no resources for me. And I remember I found one or two women kind of in my local community who had been divorced, and they were like my lifeline. Like, mm. oh, I can get through this. I can see them getting through it. It does get better. And so it's really interesting to see now so many years later, all the resources and social media and the ways we can connect, but really like finding people who have been through hard things. It's like you take that hard thing and turn it into a light for other people, you know, and that's a huge blessing and kind of finding meaning even in the hard, like, oh, okay, I can, I can find value in this in some way. For sure. I like the way you said that, take the hard things and make it a light for others as poetic. So I am just going to go ahead and tell you, I teach at BYU and one of the challenges that many of my students have is being afraid of what the future might hold, particularly when they think about getting married to someone. What happens if they end up leaving the church or what happens if they end up being addicted to porn or to drugs or something like you're talking about? And I feel this fear really paralyzes their progression. It, it, makes them stuck, keeps them stuck. And so I wanted to talk with you a little bit about one of the fears I'm seeing, especially lately. I don't know if it's a trend. You can maybe tell me if you think it's a trend, but a lot of individuals within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints seem to be stepping away from the church right now. And I know that often this feels like a crisis, but I don't really like to call it a faith crisis. I think crisis is when you're calling in the National Guard and there's something really seriously emergency help is needed. And I don't believe all of these situations are like that dramatic. It's more of a process and transitioning. So I was just curious, why do you think this might be more common today than it has been in the past? Or do you think it is more common today? Yeah, I definitely think it's more common. I mean, I think the biggest reason is our access to each other and to information, right? Um, mm -hmm. People have access to all kinds of information about the church, about history, about whatever. But not only that, you know, if you think about 50 years ago, if someone left the church, you probably didn't know about it because unless right. you ran into them at the grocery store or, you know, but like now when people leave the church, you just sit on your couch at home and pop open your phone and, you know, you could be a world away and know that that person left the church. And so I think not only it is it actually happening more frequently now than it maybe was in years past? But I think we know about it way more. And so mm -hmm. it's much more in our kind of day-to-day -day awareness. Yeah, I, I hadn't 
really put thought of it that way before. I wondered if it was more because so much of the history of the church has now been available to us, which wasn't available to us earlier on, and the confusion around some of those things. Yeah, so. I do think that's a huge that's a huge part of it. Also, it's just it's yeah. access to information all around, whether that's information from church history or information about how so and so is doing. <laughs> Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. So do you think when someone is choosing to step away from the church, once they've been married, like you were married, you know, in the temple, you have all these plans for eternal life together. Do you feel it's a betrayal? Well, I definitely think it feels like a betrayal. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. I think it feels like a betrayal. I think you know, to me, betrayal, it has some other aspects to it that I don't always think a faith deconstruction comes along with. That's the word I like more than crisis, just mm. like you, because it is a process and it's kind of a breaking down and building something new. So, you know, for a betrayal, something like an affair or an addiction or something like that, there's pieces in there like dishonesty or hiding things or that kind of stuff kind of being inauthentic, which I don't think necessarily have to come hand in hand with a faith deconstruction. You know, very often that process is very open and, and partners are talking about that. And so um, even though it does feel very much to the to maybe the person that's not going through that, it can feel very much like a betrayal, like we had plans and we kind of had these goals and this similar life, you know, idea. I don't think it's a betrayal in that the person going through it is intentionally trying to hurt or withhold or be selfish. You know, usually the person going through the deconstruction is equally traumatized and equally feeling betrayal mm -hmm. about different things, maybe from the church or history or that kind of thing. And so I think it's really traumatic for both partners when something like this happens. And, and so I think it's really important to validate both sides. Like, yes, it absolutely feels like a betrayal. And I think a spouse would feel things like that. Like, can I trust you? What does this mean for our relationship? All of those kind of things are natural, but also to recognize that the person going through this isn't necessarily lying, hiding, being inauthentic, you know, those things which are like relationship mm. problems. Like those are like, I can't really have a healthy relationship with you when you're being dishonest with me, but can I have a healthy relationship with you if you're changing your belief system and we still have common goals? You know, they're very different kind yes. of levels, I think. Yes, I I agree. I agree. You said that very, very well. So when a couple comes to see you or I've had a few experiences meeting with couples uh, around this situation because I do sex therapy mostly, that's what I'm usually doing. But what recommendations do you have for a couple as they're trying to navigate the process of a faith deconstruction? I like that phrase. Yeah, I mean... I think, first of all, acknowledging 
that it's really traumatic for both partners is right, really important. Right. You know, I think sometimes we tend to villainize the the partner who's who's questioning or struggling or leaving the church mm-hmm. that they're lazy or they're a bad person or they're selfish. And I think that really can get us into trouble. I think trying to remember like both parties are hurting when when this kind of deconstruction happens. I think also it's so, so common, just like you said, <laughs> to think of this as a crisis, like my world is ending. What's going to happen to my family, my marriage, eternity, all of these things. And and instead to like pause and take a deep breath and recognize like people can be happy even in relationships where they have different beliefs and and. You know, people can be really good spouses and really good dads or moms, even if they're not in the church. And so I don't know. I think sometimes we think, oh, having a spouse leave would be like one of the hardest things I have to go through. But I heard someone say, I don't even know where I heard this one time, but every marriage in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a mixed faith marriage because Mm. everybody lives the gospel differently. Even if you're born and raised in the church, the way that you live the gospel is different from your spouse. And I'm sure everyone listening can think of small little things that they, that they differ on in the gospel. And so I think framing it like that, like every marriage is a mixed faith marriage and every marriage has to navigate Like, how do we stay connected and have similar goals while also maintaining our individuality and our own beliefs, right? In therapy words, we call that differentiation and like being able to be connected, but be individual. And I really, I really would like couples to hear me say that one partner leaving the church or changing their beliefs is not a death sentence to your marriage, You know, I do see people moving a lot into like the who is right. I'm right and you're wrong or the you're betraying me or like all like those things are actually way more marriage killers than just two people who have different beliefs. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. that's the part that I think leads marriages to kind of crumble when this kind of things happen is is kind of using some of those losing those losing techniques to try and pull your partner to your side. Mm -hmm. I really liked the idea that every marriage is a mixed faith marriage. And because our faith, our religion anyway, has so many traditions and you have rituals that you do around living your faith, I think that it's really common in most marriages where there's some very big differences between how do we study the gospel versus how do we pay our tithing or how do we serve others. I know that one of our daughters won't watch anything besides PG or G movies, and she's been like that since she was in high school. That just was her standard, which was fine. But her husband has a standard where he's fine watching other movies that are rated differently. And in the beginning of their courtship and marriage, I thought, wow, this is going to be a little bit tricky navigating how they're going to do this. But they've, they figured things out and they respect each other and have been able to, you know, have a successful marriage. So we do come from different 
from every household, our family of origin will have taught us different ideas around observing our faith and how we live our faith. And we need to recognize those differences happen in, for all of us. Maybe going to church and participating in church versus not going to church and participating in church might be more of an idea of the stepping away from the church or what we're really talking about. I uh, My first husband passed away when I was 37, and five years later, I remarried a widower who had eight children, and I had four. And so we brought these two families together, which we are both, I would say, very active and believing and faithful families. And yet the way we observed Sundays— was completely different. Mm -hmm. In my husband's family, he and his late wife had their family meal was the most—his wife, his late wife would spend the most time preparing a Sunday meal, and they would have it on nice dishes, and they would wear their Sunday clothes all day, and they wouldn't watch TV or play games, but they'd go on walks and sing together at the piano. And <laughs> my family that I brought into this, we watched football, and we I couldn't wait to get my pajamas yeah. or my sweats on the minute we got in the door and— Heck, if I'm going to cook a big dinner, (laughs) this cold cereal and sandwiches. And so, you know, you might totally be (laughs) really wonderful in your faith, but the observance of how you're going to live that can be completely different. And if you make that so much about those differences, it's not going to be happy. It's not going to be productive. We came up with the mantra that on Sunday, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) We'd love for you to come to church with us, but otherwise you can do what you want. And that's how we survived that. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I think in thinking about this, I feel like it's really fear-based, you know, when, when one partner isn't doing what you think they should or isn't observing the Sabbath the way you do or whatever, we feel fear. Like if we do it different, then then that's not, we don't have a strong relationship or we are going to drift apart or, you know, we're not going to get all the blessings or mm-hmm. things like that. And I think anytime you notice fear coming up in you like that, probably the way you're reacting to it is not going to be the most healthy. And I think reminding people, anyone listening to this, that, you know, you can do things differently and still have a strong relationship and, and that's okay. You can kind of release that fear a little bit and, and, Mm -hmm. and just let your partner make their choices while you make your choices. And I remember I had a friend several, several years ago who, whose husband left the church and they went to dinner And he wanted to order an alcoholic drink. And she was like, sure. And he was very surprised because she is super, super faithful. And I was talking to her about this. And I was surprised, too, because that triggers me and brings up all my old stuff with my ex-husband, you know, all that. And she said, we can still have a good marriage if he drinks alcohol. And I was, like, kind of floored by that because that's really not a like a thought process that I think many of us in the church go to. We're like very fear-based and like, what does that mean if you're drinking? And uh, uh, and she's like, my relationship with him is more important than whether he's going to drink one glass of 
whatever it was at dinner or not. Mm -hmm. Just like your daughter's relationship is more important than if he watches a PG-13 movie or not, or your relationship Mm -hmm. is more important than whether you get in your pajamas or stay in your church clothes. You know, like there's all these varying levels, but I think the, the underlying theme is can we let our partners make their own choices and live their lives and still be safely connected to them? Oh, yes, for sure. Anytime I found that I feel fearful about something like that, I it's because I'm trying to control other people's choices. I when I sit down and process it, it's I'm trying to control what other people's are but what other people are choosing. And that's just not the plan, right? right? <laughs> well, and I mean, that helps us that. stay safe, right? That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's important to recognize, like, can I be safely connected to this person if this thing happens? Like, yes, for sure you can be safely connected if they watch a different kind of movie or if they wear different clothes on Sunday or if they go to church or not. But can you be safely connected if this person is continually being dishonest with you? Can Mm -hmm. you be safely connected if this person is being verbally or emotionally abusive on a regular basis? You know, like there are things, there are real things that make it hard to be safely connected or even impossible to be safely connected. And so I think it's important to be aware of those things. But in my opinion, having a face deconstruction doesn't fit into that category. That fits into the you know, yes, I right. think you. I think people can still be safely connected through that process. Right. I agree with you totally. So when you meet with couples that are experiencing something like this, do you find that you try to help them find common ground? Is that one of the strategies that you use? Yes, that I think is the main, I think there'll be two main things. And one for sure is to focus on the things they have in common. Again, when that fear comes up in us, what what our bodies and brains naturally do is find the the places we don't align. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But really, I mean, people can still have very similar goals and common ways of living and values, even if you have some different beliefs. And so focusing on that, like what our goals are for our children or, and maybe the way we do that is different, right? Maybe one, we want to raise happy, healthy kids. Okay. Maybe my way is is going to church and your way isn't now. How do we navigate that? But if our end goal is the same, that's a really important thing to focus on. So yes, focusing on the things you still have in common. And then the other thing, this is like my favorite phrase that I found in the adoption community, actually, give yourself grace. Hmm. Give your spouse so much grace. <laughs> like if both partners can can give each other grace and kind of be gentle with each other through this whole transition process. And meanwhile, you're focusing on the things you still have in common and that are still connecting, then I think you really can weather that storm. Yeah. What does it look like to give someone grace? Yeah, I think that might look different for everyone. But for me, it means allowing people to have their emotions. That that might mean if you're the spouse that's kind of leaving the faith to allow the other spouse to be sad about it, right? Instead mm-hmm. of like, you should just accept mm-hmm. me as I am, which comes from like this defensive, want to protect yourself place. But like mm-hmm. recognizing like, man, this is probably really hard for you. Right. And on the other side, the spouse who's maybe still believing to give grace to the other one, be like, 
Wow. I, I wonder what this must be like for her or him and allowing each other to have their own emotions, allowing each other to have their own beliefs without trying to convince them that they're wrong or that they're right, but just kind of get curious about it. That's a very therapeutic <laughs> technique, right? Is like, instead of like, wow, that does not make sense to me, or I don't yes. see how you could leave this religion you've had your whole life or, but like, try and help, help me understand what's happening for you. Like, I know you as a genuine, intelligent, caring person. So there must be something that's going on for you. That's causing you to make these shifts, you know, and help me understand that. Mm -hmm. Is that okay for a parent to ask of adult children? Well, I'm a mom and one of my children right now is stepping away from the church with his wife, and I, they've been very open about it with me and with my husband, and yeah. it feels like I'm not sure what I can say as a parent. I liked what you mm -hmm. said. Tell me what this is like for you. I think that's a nice phrase, but what can mm -hmm. parents do in this situation? I know love, 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 but— what else, other ideas to help parents? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've actually been thinking about this recently, but, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this idea that we have about, I love you, but I don't support you, or I love you, but I don't accept your choices. And I don't know if for me, that really feels like love. Like to me, like mm -hmm, love does mm -hmm. feel like support. It feels like I love you. I might disagree with you or not understand. And also I support you and I believe that you can make decisions for your life based on what's best for you. And so even if I think that's different, if you're going to step away from the church, I mean, I think it would be really beneficial to even ask like, hey, how can I best support you through this? Like, this feels tricky to me. I don't want to push my beliefs on you or make you feel uncomfortable, but I also have my own experience and emotions coming up. How can I best like support you? And most important to me is to maintain our relationship. And so what do you need from me? And I think especially at first, keeping those two worlds kind of separated tends to be a little easier, right? If some, if, if adult children are leaving the church, then maybe not sending them conference talks or bringing up, you know, like yeah. just being really careful about that. And I think over time, as it settles, it's much easier to be like, oh, hey, we were at state conference and this talk happened and to have it not be like a tension kind of conversation. So I think time... I think giving grace and I think really explicitly asking, like, what do you think you need from me? And having that conversation, you know, both ways, like, here's maybe what I need from you too. You're, you're an adult child. And so maybe I want you to be careful about, you know, I don't really want to know right now about X, Y, or Z thing that you're learning about the church. But if you want to talk to me about the movie you saw on last Sunday with your family, cool. You know, <laughs> like there, there can mm -hmm, be boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I think both sides, and this would go for spouses too, both sides respecting the boundary of the other is going to be really important. Yeah, it's kind of a tricky dynamic. It, In some ways it has felt like they've 
kind of pulled away from the family as well as pulling away from the church. Mm -hmm. And that's what I miss as you try to connect and and keep in a relationship there, but you don't feel that that the reaching out from that other Mm -hmm. side, you know, is is reciprocal. It it kind of makes it feel awkward. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really normal because when you think about it, you grow up in this church, it is all consuming, right? Right, right. Every part of your life. And there's all of these milestones you you meet and there's, you know, there's all kinds every Every six months, there's conference, and there, there's just all these traditions that are so wrapped right. up in the church that are intertwined with your family tradition. And so mm-hmm. for people who are stepping away, those things can be really painful, and they want to be connected. But when majority of those connections have like church things kind of woven into them, that becomes really painful. And like I said, especially at first, when that wound is kind of open, I think people do have to step back and protect a little bit Mm -hmm. until they can heal. And then it's not as painful to kind of be around. But I wonder if finding different traditions or doing things that aren't necessarily connected to church stuff, like instead of just hey, oh, well, we know we're getting together for so-and-so's baptism. You know, maybe we just on a different Saturday have a family picnic and it's not related to a baptism or it's not around conference or, you know. Yeah, that's a good idea. might create opportunities that that you can connect, but also don't put them in an uncomfortable position when they're kind of vulnerable. For sure, for sure. Such good counsel. I can see why you're such a good therapist, Nikki. Thanks, (laughs) You're awesome. So I guess I'll move on to the fear factor that I I was talking about earlier, the fear of choosing to marry because who knows what's going to happen on the other side. But what are some red flags that—because so many of the students I'm teaching are— are in the process of choosing who to marry and in the early stages of marriage. Can you help us understand maybe some of the red flags that you would look for in an exclusive dating engagement relationship? Yeah, this is hard because I could probably give you like (laughs) 9,000. Well, I guess I'll go back to your— as you are now, if you go back to when you married your first husband Mm -hmm. and— and he ended up being a drug user and things. Can you see red flags now that you didn't see then? Yeah, I really wish I could say yes. I mean, I think that situation is hard because if people really do want to lie and manipulate, then they can. And I think I've looked back because I have two daughters with him. And so I have thought, how? what do I say to them when they're starting to date and when they're starting to find... and. Really, the the truth is, and this maybe won't sit well with, <laughs> with people who want to like have a really concrete answer, but the truth is that getting married is a risk, mm-hmm. period. And joining your life with someone is a risk. And loving someone, you risk getting hurt and you will get hurt at some point. I mean, whether that is someone who ends up having a faith deconstruction or has an addiction or even someone, you don't know, 20 years they get diagnosed with cancer or like for you, your husband passed away at 37 or they get hit by a bus or whatever it is. Like joining your life with someone is opening yourself up to being hurt. And 
there's no, there's no other way around that. And so, so getting married is a risk and you have to kind of accept that risk in order to really move into that relationship. And I think there's things we can do to kind of resource ourselves and make sure the risk isn't so high or Mm -hmm. so dangerous. And some of those things that I would say would be don't rush. I think in our culture, especially, it's very normal to just zoom into relationships. And I think that, I think that's tricky. I mean, I dated my husband for almost a year before we got married. And even still, I mean, he was doing drugs the whole time we were dating and I had no idea. And so, I mean, I was married to the man for several years before I even knew. And so could I have known that? Before, like, no, literally being married to him, living with him, sharing, being, yeah, all the things I still didn't know for several years, you know, if people want to hide, they can. But I do think you greatly increase your ability to see red flags when you take time to date mm-hmm. and to see them in, in multiple situations. I think, I think another thing that is a red flag that we do a lot is is assume that because they're a member of the church, they're a good person. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, we think, oh, they went on a mission, or oh, they went to BYU, or oh, whatever. And we kind of maybe put blinders on to some things that might trigger red flags because because we kind of check the church box a little bit. Right, um, right. So I think one thing you can do is ask yourself, like, if this person left the church— what would I still love about them? What are mm. some qualities that, you know, I could I have a healthy relationship with this person if the church wasn't a part of it? I think that's really important to ask yourself. I also think family of origin dynamics is really important to look at. Look at their relationship with their parents. Look at their relationship with siblings, long-term friends. Most people who have really serious... I mean, everybody has something, right? We're all human. For sure. And so everybody's going to have weaknesses and hard things. But I think the things that are really devastating and that are intensely difficult in relationships, like abuse, addiction, those kind of things... I think when you look at family of origin stuff, sometimes you see red flags you might not have otherwise seen. You can see patterns, you know, how is Mm -hmm. this person with parents and friends? Do they have long-term relationships? And because right now when you're dating, you're like the new shiny toy, but eventually you're going to be the old toy in the back (laughs) of the toy bin. How does he treat those things, right? Those would Mm -hmm. be like siblings, friends that he's known a long time or she, I'm using my own experience, but I think rushing is a red flag. I think using the church to kind of ignore maybe getting to know someone deeper, like is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think looking at family of origin dynamics. And then another thing that I think is just black and white thinking and inflexibility, Mm -hmm. which I think can look different in a lot of people. But, you know, the, the reality of of life is that whoever you marry is going to change. Right. There is going to be growth and shifting. And I mean, that might not even be around church stuff, but maybe it's around their politics or how they want to parent, or if they all of a sudden become a vegan, you know, there's like all of these things that people learn and grow and change. And so you want to be someone and you want to be connected to someone who 
can be flexible and can be open and can kind of help navigate some of those nuances without a lot of rigidity. Because I think Mm -hmm. that rigidity really is what breaks people, right? If there's some flexibility and looseness in there, then you can like take hits better. (laughs) Does that make sense? So true. Yes. the, The freedom to, the freedom to change, the freedom to explore, to progress is so important. For happiness, yeah. And I think to expect that. I think sometimes we go into marriage thinking like, well, I made it, you know? (laughs) And rather than to like expect like there are, like we are both going to change. And and the person that I'm married to now isn't going to be the person I'm married to in 10 years, even though it might be the same person. Hopefully it is the same person. And you, you're not going to be the same person in 10 years as you are now either. And so kind of expecting that so it doesn't come as such a shock, maybe. <laughs> For sure. I That's one thing. My husband and I have gone to a therapist that we adore. He, he's worked so well with us in being able to do this big family. I remember several years ago visiting with him, and he just said, you know, you're going to change. Yeah, it's just part of of life is that you knew each other when you started out. And as you continue to progress, you're going to have experiences. You're going to be shifting and things will, you'll be different. And he said, I have to tell you, my wife came home last week with a big butterfly tattoo on her back. <laughs> and I never, I, that, that was not the girl I married. <laughs> and, and 20 years later, she's got this tattoo. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really different. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that's, ever since he told me that story, I've made sure to let my classes know that, yeah. That's part of that's part of the journey is learning to love and accept and yourself and one another as you journey through life. Yeah. Good counsel. What resources do you recommend for families that are having maybe a faith crisis or couples who are getting married and not wanting to make mistakes? Are there certain things you go to's that you send people to for help? You know, I was thinking about this and I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I'm like this specific thing, but I always recommend therapy. Mm -hmm, (laughs) I mm -hmm. mean, I don't know a lot of people know this, but you can actually do premarital therapy and, you know, there's therapists in the Utah Valley and I'm sure everywhere who specialize in premarital therapy. There's online courses you can take when you're dating seriously. There's compatibility tests. BYU has the relate test, right? Uh That you can take to kind of, and not that it says like, oh yes, good match, get married or don't, but it brings up topics that would be good to talk about and to kind of dig deeper into. Again, you want to go into your marriage with your eyes wide open and knowing Mm -hmm. all the things. And I just think that helps you navigate that all once you're in it. Right. So I would say therapy, I think also finding support resources. So if you are a couple who's going through a faith deconstruction, there are so many resources online. There are groups. There are groups for women whose husbands are leaving the church and husbands whose wives are leaving the church or people who want to stay in the church but are having some kind of questions. And, you know, there's all kinds of of resources. And I think that's what was really lacking when I was going through my heart experience was that kind of social support. And so I always recommend, I've even told my clients, like, 
go online and find a support group, like go to Facebook and find a grief support group for, mm-hmm. you know, people who've lost a spouse or for people who've lost a parent or for whatever it is. And, and obviously not everything you're going to find online is going to be worth putting into your body. <laughs> right. So like, for sure. be like, you know, wise about that. But I think I just know it can be so helpful to know you're not alone. And each of those groups have really specific information about whatever thing you're going through. So if you're a couple who's leaving the church, but your family's still in the church, there will be tons of resources in there to help you navigate that. Or if you're a wife who found our husbands on drugs, you know, there's going to be tons of resources in in those groups too. So, so you go to Facebook and just hit on group and type in your need? Yeah, so you can go to Facebook and just search. Like, you can just search. Usually, the, the best groups and the biggest groups have— the, the titles are really, like— Clear. Leaving the church <laughs> or, you know, staying in the church but husband left or whatever. Like, they're pretty— If you, like, just Google that or go on Facebook in the search bar and search that up. Or even on Instagram, you can look up hashtags, you know— mm-hmm nuanced beliefs or hashtag nuanced Mormon or hashtag whatever. There's like all kinds of different things you can search up that just they have quotes and people who are going through it and resources. Some some of them even have support groups mm-hmm. where you can actually get together. And yeah, I would say just really try not to do it by yourself. Yeah, what good counsel. Good counsel. So I like to always kind of ask my my guests a couple of things towards the end. I'm going to be retiring from BYU. This is my last year. And oh, my gosh, so, that's big. It is big. I'm old. <laughs> but it's exciting. <laughs> I will miss them. I love the students. But I like to have my guests kind of wrap up telling me or telling the audience, if you could come and spend a day teaching the classes that I teach, and you've lived your journey, and some of, you know, these are just bright, beautiful students who have such optimism and faith and ideas about the future that are, that they're going to live, and what would you want them to know? What do you think from your life experience you would want them to know? Yeah. I think if I had to narrow it down to like one or two things, the first thing I would say would be take your time. And whether that's in dating or school or life or getting a job or whatever, I think there's a sense of urgency that we have. (laughs) And I don't know if that's like a new thing or if I'm just like waking up to it, but like, "Ah, I've got to go to school. I've got to get good grades. I got to know what I'm doing. I need to get married. Oh, I have to have babies. I'm already 24 and I don't have babies. Uh I'm so old. And, you know, like we, it's just like always looking to the next thing. And I wish I could go back to myself when I was a student at BYU Uh (laughs) and just say, just slow down. Like, Life will happen. Everything will happen. And you you don't have to feel this anxious kind of urgency about doing all the things all the time. That's good advice. And then I think the other thing I would say, and this maybe feels like it goes against, I'm not trying to go against what we're taught, but to trust yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I gave a lot of my power away as a young LDS girl 
to what I'm supposed to be doing and what, you know, I'm supposed to get married. I'm supposed to have babies. I'm supposed to, and I wanted to do all of those things, but I wish I had maybe like trusted myself a little more and, and going along with the take your time. I think I maybe was one of those that rushed over maybe some of the warning signs because the church boxes were checked or because, you know, oh, he's a return missionary. I wish I would have just said, like, slow down, take your time and trust yourself. Like, you have the ability to receive answers. Mm -hmm. You have the ability to interpret those. You You don't have to give your power away to this social pressure or this idea that you have to do the right thing. I don't think there's necessarily right or wrong things. I think there's just things and we choose if that's right for us or not. And well, that's why we have personal revelation is because there's not like one standard, one size fits all. There's so many nuances. And even if that means you're still like, working towards getting married and having a family, like maybe there would have been some nuances in that. Maybe, I don't know. So I think if you can take your time and kind of let go of this cultural notion that we have to rush (laughs) and then trust yourself. Yeah. And, And even if that, even if that's no, I was with a friend many, many years ago on her wedding day in the temple, she was getting dressed And she came out of her dressing room and said, I don't think I should do this. And I was like, okay, like, who do I go talk to? Like, and she's like, no, but everyone's here and everyone's Mm. in the ceiling. They were literally all in the ceiling room already and everything's planned for and paid. And, and she got married and it didn't end well. And I just think, man, if we could just really trust ourselves and let go of all of this social pressure I think we would be so much happier. Yeah, Yeah, that's great advice. Really great advice. Well, trusting yourself and and knowing yourself and slowing down enough to get to do that is a lot about what I teach as far and talk about. This is the Live Your Why podcast. I really think if people understood what they, who they are and what they really want to become— and align themselves with whatever that is, they're going to have a lot more peace and and happiness in life. So Nikki Harmon, by the way, I always read your last name Harmony for some reason. <laughs> so in my mind, this whole time I thought, Nikki Harmony, I think that's the cutest name in the world. <laughs> it is very cute. Too bad it's not my name, but <laughs> Nikki Harmon. <laughs> what is your why? Yeah, this is also hard. It's kind of hard to distill that down, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I I put this in terms of what I want for myself and for my life. And I think I want to live authentically. I want the world to be better for me having been in mm-hmm. it. I want to leave it better than I found it. I want to be deeply connected to myself to the people in my life and to God. And I want to help other people do the same. And you're doing that. You're doing that. I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, from my perspective, you're doing that very well. So thank you. It's been just an honor to be with you, Nikki. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tammy. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. (laughs) 